Hey gang, welcome to the Your Basket is Empty pod, a space where I sit down with agencies, brands, and original e-com thinkers to discuss their journey, practical advice, and how they're navigating the current digital landscape. Your Basket is Empty is also a bi-monthly industry newsletter that covers the most interesting e-com and direct consumer news, interviews with original e-com thinkers, a jobs board, an event listing section, and a playlist. Go check that out at yourbasketisempty.com. On this episode, I'm chatting with Alex O'Byrne, co-founder of We Make Websites. Now the dust has settled on the acquisition of the agency, we discuss the beauty of building and selling something you enjoy, the pros and cons of bootstrapping, the similarity and challenges at each stage of the agency lifecycle, value-based pricing, the best uses of AI in an agency context, the importance of cultural fit between a buyer and a seller, and what life looks like after the exit. In a moment, you're going to be hearing from our sponsor. Ahead of that, I have an ask. If you like the pod, you'd be doing it and me a massive favor by liking, subscribing, but more importantly, telling somebody about it. The more traction this thing gets, the better it becomes. So a big thank you in advance. Before we get into it, this episode is supported by my friends at Recharge. Recharge has helped over 15,000 e-commerce merchants grow and retain their customer base through subscriptions, allowing the brands to grow their business by increasing lifetime value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. If you thought subscriptions were on the decline, listen to this. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. For anyone running an e-commerce store, customer retention has been at the forefront of your mind, and subscriptions are one of the best ways to meet your goals. Create seamless subscription experiences for your community and turn one-time shoppers into long-term customers with Recharge. Learn more at rechargepayments.com slash basket. Enjoy the episode. Alex, welcome to the pod. How are you and where are you? Hello, Tim. Good to be here. Been looking forward to this. I am in Miami, where I live, on uh, South Beach. Sound, sounds crazy when I say South Beach. We're not on the bit that you see in the news <laughs> or on the, the <laughs> or on the bay side which is uh about a mile away and yeah it's good it's beautiful um and uh yeah happy to be here nice and with the, i saw the thing you put on linkedin the thing with elon what was that were you at an event where he, he oh, was? oh yeah. yeah 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 i got i got a ticket to this conference which you know there, there's quite a lot of conferences in miami i guess it's a bit of a destination so mm-hmm. i've been given a pass for this one and the star speaker was uh, the main character himself, Elon Musk. <laughs> and what, what was it like? Was there anything interesting or like, you know, what was your general um, observations or did it change your opinion on him if you had one before? No, my opinion, of, <laughs> I don't know if it's controversial, my opinion of him is like, he's just an average like guy, but incredibly <laughs> wealthy. And like, I yeah. think he's a good capital raiser. I think yeah. that's how he's managed to do SpaceX and, uh, Tesla. I'm not a big fan of a sort of libertarian who, you know, also takes a lot of money from the government at the same time, yeah. winking at yeah. you. So, you know, yeah. I'm not a big fan of his like politics, let's say. And I feel a bit like how I feel about Kanye. Like, I wish it was five years ago and he'd not like burnt his reputation. Mm-hmm. And we still had this myth that he was like Robert Downey Jr. and, you know, Iron Man. Yep. Um, yep. But, but the point of his thing was like, it's a room full of advertisers and brands. And it was to, explain to him how he's going to stop Twitter being a cesspit, which, you know, he didn't, didn't do. And I felt just kind of sad that, you know, that rocket's launching today, isn't it? Like the, the really mm-hmm. big one. I was like, mm-hmm. man, you should be dealing with that. Like not. Yeah, I know. Room, right. Like, like what the fuck? Who's dealing with that? Like, it's not an yeah. insignificant like event within a company's sort of like Crazy, right? 2023 yeah. roadmap, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, I can only assume that those companies have tiers, like they basically run themselves and there's like very smart people that 
take care of the operations. But I still felt like, come on, man, you, you th- he's always talking about civilization, all these gra- grandiose terms like that. And it's like, well, okay, but don't fix Twitter then. That doesn't seem like a big part of the equation. Yeah, feels weird. Okay, so this conversation uh, we're going to tell listeners is a part two. Part one was episode 70 with Pierce, daily co-founder of We Make. And we did a bit of a deep dive on the exit. So this round is getting your perspective on it. So that's to set the scene. We're going to be talking about the exit. There is also another episode with the two of you if people want to go and listen to the history of We Make websites. And I can't remember what episode that actually is. So people are going to have to go through the entire back catalog and find it. But it's also incredibly interesting um, and insightful. So on the back of the conversation I had with Piers and where I'd like to start is he mentioned that there was never really an intention to sell. Was that your perspective? Talk me through, yeah, what where your thoughts were in kind of those early days. Yeah, so we ended up making an agency kind of by accident because we, so, so, so going right back to the beginning is 2008 that we were kind of messing around building technology. The app store had just been released. We were mucking around making apps. We started uh, seeing if we could make websites for money in 2009 is when we really sort of got going and, and started a business. Um, but I think, you know, we always, and maybe this is a classic agency thing. You always think, oh, one day we'll build a product, you know, and several of them have that we know, Tim. But, you know, the dream is always you have this recurring revenue and make money while you sleep. But we never did that. And we just ended up being um, caught up in this snowball of the exploding Shopify world. And, you know, you, you, sell a project and you need a project manager and then you need to sell because you've got more people. So you hire mm-hmm. a salesperson and you're just in this like ball that keeps going. So I, I think what, yeah, I think what he meant, I think that's what he meant that we kind of end up building this thing that we realized, Oh, right. This is actually valuable in its own right. But always been like a way of doing um, what we enjoyed doing, you know, mm-hmm. like for, for a good living. So it wasn't like let's build an agency and, and then one day that will be like, you know, worth a lot of money. Although that isn't what ended up happening. <laughs> well, you know, like a, a decent, you know, like it's well bad, you know, like I still think there was the, you know, incredible achievement. I think mm. the valuations from professional services to products are, you know, widely mm. known as different. So that's a thing. But, you know, going further along into the journey. So, you know, like that's 2008, 2009, start building an agency. Piers talked about a period I think pre-2019 when we, the three of us sort of started talking about potential exits and what that might look like. Was there a Mm. point along that journey, so 2009 to say 2016, 17, whatever it was, where you thought like, oh, actually, maybe there's a point where, whether it's a a sale, but at an event of some description of, okay, we want to move on and do something else and we have a company, you know, someone else might take it, you know. So what, what were you thinking at that time, what was it a big part of your thinking or was it kind of a thing in the back of your mind? Yeah, I, well, you, you get to a point, I think once you get to, you know, let's say, I was going to say 50 people, but you know, it could be 30, it could be 15 people, you're paying all these salaries and you're taking that capital risk every single month, spending that money. And we were very, you know, lucky or, you know, whatever, like that we all, we pretty much always were profitable and we always grew. And there was a lot of blood, sweat and tears in that because we sometimes hired later than we should. And, you know, it was difficult being bootstrapped is 
really hard. And I know there's challenges of raising money too, yep. just different challenges. Yep. And ours was that continual uh, hard growth, like uh, hard growth. Um, so it gets to a point where you're thinking it's quite a lot of money that you're spending, and do, do, it's nice to take the chips off the table. I put it that way. Um, and then I, do, I think you're right. There is an element of opportunity cost as well. Like, what is there something else we could be doing in the future? Or because we're running an agency, and you know, we we've done it now for fifteen. Christ, that sounds like a lot. Nearly fifteen years. It's crazy. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, it, it gets bigger, but if I'm honest, the challenges are not that different. To, I think once you go above 20 or 30 people, it's the same sort of thing, but you just have, uh, you know, capacity is a classic one. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're totally. worried because you're not sold anything and you sell a lot of stuff and you don't have enough people. You know, that just never goes away. Yeah. I think every in every iteration, we have different ways of structuring the management and, and how we do reporting and stuff like that and budgets and stuff. So that stuff definitely evolved, but it isn't radically different so i think that's yeah. another thing maybe that intellectually it was starting to get like we kind of know how this works and yeah um be nice to have some light at the end of a tunnel and i mean you, you touched on a really interesting point there it wasn't something i was going to pick up on but i think we should the yeah so we were bootstrapped what do you think about that upon reflection do you think that's a good model for you know a professional services company or what do you think we would have done if we were backed do you think that would have changed things dramatically um, yeah, I, I think I, I like that we were not under pressure from shareholders to hit certain goals or, or to keep raising it valuations. We're getting more and more. Um, and we had full control of a company, although interestingly, you know, that is also a lot of responsibility. So, you know, it, when it comes to like perks and benefits and pay and everything, that was all ultimately our decision, which you know, is quite a lot of responsibility. And part of, part of the joys of being acquired is you're just part of a bigger group and you don't have a lot of say in stuff like HR policy. It's quite mm-hmm. nice after yeah. being the um, author of it for many years. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but bootstrapping, you know, is tough. And I think in technology, if you have um, the the means to build value, so like you can build the tools, you know, if there's enough to get you off the ground, then I think it's a great way to go. And um, obviously, it's, you, if you can get it to work, then you have a bigger share of the the, the rewards. Um, but it's hard. And the other thing I think is if you're in an expanded market like we were, you do lose out a bit on, you know, we could have been in more cities quicker, for example, Mm -hmm. um, which is what a lot of our bigger competitors did. They just raised a lot of money, hired a lot of people. And I think the reason we didn't do that is, again, we didn't really plan to build an agency. And it wasn't like we sat down one day and said, let's make a 300-person company. So it never appealed to us to, like, go raise a lot of money just so we could hire more people to could be trapped in that loop again, if you like. And this is something I've been thinking about a bit, given the kind of current market volatility. Um, my sense is that we sold at the right time. And I'm wondering how much do you think of that was luck? How much of it was us being strategic? Um, I think that... Um, I think that yeah, November twenty twenty one was a was a great time to sell, and I know like other. I don't think we'll see valuations like that again for a couple of years in in tech. So I'm very grateful um, for that. Um, 
how much of it was luck. I think we knew consolidation was coming, and subsequently that's been proved right. So <laughs> we've had like you know the the stable adjoining Accenture, which included um, BVA, Diff were acquired by WPP. Um, there's been a few, so we we knew we could sense that was happening because we were in this market that was being created and was eating the lunch of you know Salesforce and all these other bigger platforms, and therefore you were getting interest from these big uh, agency holding groups. So that w- that was deliberate, but I think it was on a faster timeline than we expected, and I'm glad it was because of what happened in the market. Yeah, because right. now people would be, if, especially if you'd raised money, you'd be struggling now to try and raise again and get another round that's higher and or just trying to persevere through this economy. And I'm just so grateful not to be doing that. Yeah, and I think that the, the challenge, I, I imagine, I don't know anyone who's gotten into that position, but yeah, let's assume you're a professional services company that raised money around that time. You know, you reduce your burn by getting rid of people, but the people are the business <laughs> in that particular business model. You know, that's that's challenging. So, yeah, that would be a hard spot to be in right now. I would have thought. Yeah, um, yeah. In when we were kind of looking at things, I remember we looked at like core metrics, like when we were coming towards an exit in terms of um, you know revenue, headcount, profit. I remember a. Golden North Star we kind of looked at was like 100k per head, 20% EBITDA, right? Like that was the kind of thing that we were kind of aiming for. Mm. Do you think that was useful as a metric or as a North Star for us to go for? Or do you think we could have looked at things differently? Because I think from memory, we didn't quite get there, but that's maybe not the point because we were on the trajectory to it and that's what an acquirer is looking for. You know, it's like, okay, I can see... Mm. The delta between that, we come in and we either get you there or, or whatever. But do you, do you think that was useful or do you think there's another way we could have looked at it? Also, I'm, I'm curious, like, do you think we could have expedited that by some of the things that you were kind of talking about before in terms of like if we were funded, yeah. et cetera? So, so, so we had our, our gears set for, for growth. So even though we hadn't raised money, we were focused on revenue growth rather than profit just to get a share of the market. And you know, if we'd raised money, it would have been even more so. You know, and that's why you get these big tech companies that don't make a profit for a decade because they're just trying to eat up as much of the market as possible. So, I mean, that's the extreme, but like, you know, if we'd raised money, we would have been spending a lot more just to, to capture the market. But that wasn't the position we were in, but still we were trying to get bigger with the view that one day you crank the gears the other way and you shift the profit, which ultimately that's what it's all about is shareholder returns. That's what the world revolves around. And that's where, you know, like, all our pensions are invested in and all these yeah. sev- sovereign funds. Like that's the, that's what's going on. And that, that uh, return on capital is what everyone's seeking. So, uh, and that's profit. So profit is what matters, but I think those two metrics you said, so yeah, 20% EBITDA, so 20% profit net and hundred K ahead. I think they're good metrics for an agency. Um, obviously EBITDA, the higher, the better, you know, if you can get 50, then, great yeah, but yeah. tends to be just difficult to do in a service business because you're paying a lot of salaries and and it's uh it's capped how much billable work a person can do so yeah so, so you limit it that way the 100k ahead thing comes out of that really that um anything under that it, 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 it isn't that efficient and i it's a good question. I don't know where we got where we got to with that, how close we got, but we're not far off. And I have seen it above that before. The problem with it being above, because you might say, "Well, hang on a minute, why why did you want to limit it to a hundred? The problem with a hundred is you start burning people out or getting problems with um, 
uh, delivery of work or parts of it, basically parts of the engine start breaking once you go above that. So you need to hire more people and that brings down the, the, the revenue per head. Um, but I think it's a decent number. If you have an agency doing that, it's pretty healthy. Yeah, I think I reckon our strategy was pretty good in the sense, well, I don't know. I suppose some people would say it was maybe it, we should have done it the other way. You look for profitability first, then you chuck fuel on the fire and you grow after that. But I felt like there's other factors to it. The market being obviously a big one and we saw that the, the Shopify market had a huge opportunity. There was room to grow and we aggressively went after it. That was kind of, that was what we did. Yeah, I think do, an, do, an interesting thing... We, do you oh, think no, we, yeah well do you, like i'm wondering like is yeah do you think we were too binary in that like maybe we should have been sort of thinking about it sort of more holistically and would that have made things easier and is that a better way for an agency in this you know day and age which is you know a few years down the line a better way to do it yeah yeah i, I think the holy grail so the holy grail for all agencies is you build a SaaS product and have a 40 times multiple right which happens <laughs> like to one in a hundred or one in a thousand yeah but but the second holy grail uh is value pricing which i don't think we ever mastered you know in, in fact today still we basically look at how many hours something's going to take and multiply it by hourly rate yeah and it works you know business is in a decent state actually but um if you can do that unlock where you're saying, look, you know, we're going to get you um, this ROI on your spend and therefore you should pay this much. And then in the background, you're building it in the equivalent of a third of the time. Yep. That's where you get real profitability. The difficulty, at least in the market we're in, is A, no one else does that. So immediately you are, it's hard to compete. Um, well, I mean, that's the main one, actually. Um, uh, uh, the, the market just isn't used to it. so. It would have been nice to get that right because you can imagine if we were cranking out sites and selling them still at the prices we were, then the business would have been a lot more profitable and the clients would have got the same value, but we never mm -hmm. mastered that. Maybe it's not possible. I don't know. I don't, yeah. So I've been, I mean, with my own consulting business, I've been trying, I started off doing value-based pricing because that was it. We talked about it. I was like, that is the holy grail. I've got to try and do it. My general mm -hmm. sense is that that works at scale but certainly the clientele we were dealing with that doesn't they want a veneer mm. or there needs to be an element of customizability or tailoredness or whatever you know and therefore i mean i think we did a pretty good job we were you know i'm amazed at like how good we were now coming back and looking back into the business having out of it looking back in we were quite good at like modulizing things and yeah, productizing yeah. it like like i don't think we gave ourselves enough credit of how productized it actually was because our version of what, you know, the Holy Grail value-based pricing was probably, you know, impossible to actually achieve. So I think we were actually pretty good. But yeah, is it, yeah, to your point there about is it actually possible? I'm not, I'm not sure if it is with the sorts of brands that we were working with. I think if you mm. go maybe down into a, a slightly more mass market type uh, ICP, then, then maybe it is. But then I'd argue you're, you're competing against, well, that's kind of what the theme store's for. Like that, yeah, that, that's yeah, a perfect yeah. Productized, value-based. You know, I think a nice really. middle ground, and we did we did do a few things that were like Goldilocks pricing, where it was like, you know, do you want the best? Was it good, good, better, or, or best? And I think that's a good model because in your best model, you can add stuff that is kind of not cheap to provide, but like you can charge disproportionately for for the, the top stuff. Let's say twenty four seven support. I mean, we never offered that, but but you could charge a ton for twenty four seven support. I mean, it is expensive as well to have someone on call, but you can charge way more than the cost of that person. So I think there are times when you can do it 
Um, one thing that we did though was we separated. We did actually separate um, estimate from uh, price, right, for a mm-hmm. bit. And we never. I feel like we did it like twenty percent of the time. Mm-hmm. But it does. You know, like if you can build, so for example, a component library, so you can um, get parts of the site built quicker, and then still charge what you were charging when. Um, before the component was built, and that's a good way of increasing profitability. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is a that's commoditized, that's value based pricing. So I'm curious. Then this is a slight sidestep, but I think it's a it's a important one at the moment. And I don't want to talk too much about AI because I feel that that conversation is definitely taking up a lot of the airspace. But do you think that changes the game slightly in what we're talking about now? And, I, and I'm curious, like, are you guys, you know, what's going on internally with stuff? Are you exploring it? Are you leaving it to the side and, you know, not letting it like derail the kind of current strategy and what's going mm. on? How are you guys thinking about it? We're, we're exploring it. Um, we're looking at GitHub Copilot. Um, yeah. I also built something the other day just for fun that would like learn our documentation and like reply in, in Slack. And, um, Interesting. It, That's it's cool. not perfect, but it like is pretty crazy. Like you know, a big thing was always like, "Has this client paid?" or "Where's the MSA for the, all that type of <laughs> yeah. stuff?" It, it, it will try answer. Now the problem is, it's not always right in a classic AI sort of thing. That it's not always right, and it's still going off the data that it has access to. So sometimes you want to ask a person like, "Hey, is this really true?" But um, so anyway, we are we are uh, exploring it overall. Uh, I love it. I know it's very hyped, but it's the first time I remember feeling that magical feeling of um, like calling your first Uber or using the iPhone for the first time or streaming a a song, right? Like we take that so for granted now, but you know, when we first did that, uh, that felt like, whoa, I can, first time you call Uber and a guy arrives outside your house in the car, you cannot believe that it works. And you want to show your parents and like, you know, it's this excitement. AI is, first time in a decade easily that i felt that and you know as you know i'm uh, not a huge crypto fan and you know i never <laughs> felt like that uh, but that's why like i never felt like hang on this is not making anything better or easier and i'm not getting that feeling of innovate real innovation where you realize whoa this unlocks a lot whereas even in the first you know couple of months now of uh, these large language models you can do some crazy stuff and i know it is very hyped but it does feel like an unlock and i think businesses that can plug it in, I mean, there's tons of businesses going around now saying we are AI for this, you know, and that's mm, the classic, mm. you know, raising money thing. But I do think businesses that can plug it in as a tool is hugely uh, pr- uh, uh, productive. So, for example, GitHub Copilot, I haven't used personally, but I have been using ChatGPT when I'm writing code, just messing around. And yeah. it's crazy. It makes you five times more productive easily. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, so I, I assume, yeah, what's going to happen is, yeah, you need to, using it to not fall behind it would be like not using google when you know in 2004 yeah Um, yeah yeah that's definitely the 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 observation i've got it's like sort of uh rationalize with yourself on the hype and then try and i think my my observation is and where i'm finding it a struggle is like where to start and end because because of the hype and it feels like it feels like it's going to just solve every problem and even from my podcast i've been trying to automate things and it kind of works kind of doesn't and my observation is okay i need to sort of like mold it into my own workflow and then it'll become Mm. useful but Mm. there isn't this sort of like silver bullet which if you were consuming LinkedIn content all day, you would think there was a silver bullet. I can just start a million pound business on. Yeah. I think it's more like a tool. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more. So for example, like in, in this example of agency documentation, 
you already, let's say you have a notion and it's full of everything. So you already have the answers, but if you can train a, a model to, to find that stuff, and that's just a nice little wit. So it's like a, a tool that you're plugging in. And I think for now, anyway, that's our approach to it. That makes total sense. Um, I want to sidestep back into the kind of more standard conversation. I'm curious then, um, from a cultural perspective, like how important do you think the fit is between a acquirer and acquiree? And my understanding is things have been going pretty well with Born, And that was something that was, I don't know if we put lots of importance on it, but I do remember it being like a conversation, right? It was like something to consider. It was, you know... Uh, a factor, shall I say? Like, yeah. how much of a factor do you think it is? Yeah, I think it was really important. And I would, I would say there's a spectrum between from private equity, which is the worst, like, you know, <laughs> soulless. No soulless. No anyone that's sold. But I mean, that, that is not a strategic buy. That is, they want to buy a cash generating asset mm. uh, and just hold it as, yeah, as an asset. And then on, on the other extreme, you have, which in our world, you have like the huge, you know, WPP and Accenture and all these guys who, you know, uh, different type of soulless. So I, I like that we're, we somehow ended up in the middle, um, that we ended up with a company that was growing. They want to be in that world, you know, like they want to be competing with the Deloitte Digitals of the world and, you know, Accentures and we're kind of punching up into that space. And so it's nice to be part of entrepreneurial culture. Um, Dilip, who was the founder of Born, still runs it basically, you know, so, so it definitely has that uh, DNA to it. And anecdotally, just so far, like in the US where I am, you know, we spend a lot of time with their team. We're in the same Slack. We see the same deals, work on the same deals together. So, yeah, I, I think, it, uh, yeah. So, yes, it's important. And also, I think it did work for us. Um, because they they have been true to their word that we are left relatively alone when it comes to like how we do things. It, it, um, so yeah, so it's super important because otherwise all, all your team, you know, they just feel like, hang on a minute, I signed up for this and now I'm doing mm. this. Mm. Um, so yeah, super important. And I'm curious then, deals happened. What does your day look like now? <laughs> like we were talking about it's it before, bit, right? Like is, is, pina is colada it... at two p.m. Uh, <laughs> skateboard at three p.m. No, it, it's um. So what happened around the same time uh, is we finally cracked having like a strong leadership team. You know, for year I think we were just growing constantly, and it was just chaos all the time. And for the past couple of years, I guess because like the growth has slightly slowed in our sector. So we've had a bit of time to sort of dial in everything that uh, and how it works. So I would say we're, you know, we're cl- my day is closer to what like an actual CEO does that I help out with. Um, obviously the strategy and dealing with like, what are we doing? What, we, what we're going to be doing in six months or a year. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. is sales. I think every CEO, every founder will probably end, remain in sales throughout the whole mm-hmm. tenure. Um, so I'm involved in all our key deals here and then people. So just sometimes talking to new talent or maybe dealing with like people's ideas around how we do things. Um, oh, and then like, uh, obviously the financial side, you just got to keep your eye on like, are we going in the right direction? And, and that's it. And I think that's quite different to the, the key difference is if you rewind, rewind like three, four years, I was having to dive down a lot into like different areas of the business. and. Yep. 
uh, get my hands dirty. And now, you know, I finally learned uh, that the, the correct way to handle these things is to have the, you know, the classic saying that we're both a fan of the right people in the right seats and they're there and they're doing their thing. So if you want something changing down there, you go to that person and say, here's what I think you should do, but this is the outcome I want. And you let them go and do, do that. Yep. And we, that is finally all in position. Um, so it's great. So it feels very different to like a few years ago. Um, which is good. It's like, we finally got there after a decade. <laughs> well, I, I would say a lot of people, you know, after two decades don't get there. So it's probably not, not bad really in the grand scheme of things. It's, it's a hard thing to master, I think, in the sense of, you know, the, a professional service, I would say generally speaking, my sense is that professional services businesses are in some ways underinvested in the sense that people veer away from them, especially now we're towards a product. But I actually think they're really, really valuable and I think they're a really cool business if you can make it work right. But the reality is, and what, like most other businesses, but more importantly within professional services, people are really the key. They are the thing. Now, ChatGPT is going to change all that, whatever. AI will change some of that because it'll enhance and maybe reduce some headcount, you know, more broadly speaking. But it's like a people business and the people is kind of the, the most amazing thing about it, but it's the most challenging thing. And it's like, whilst all those other pillars, commercial and operational, you still need to get really good at those, you know, the people bit. And so getting that team in place, it's hard, trial and error. I mean, we read loads of books, like you were saying, you know, I think people in seats or whatever, bums and or the, the, the right people in the right seats, that's a traction thing. But yeah, we read yeah. the book, we still didn't master it. We read the book, I mean? yeah. Like, we read the fucking Easier book. Easier said than done. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, um, I mean, it's really cool yeah, that but, it's like finally gotten into place though. I think that that's fantastic. Yeah, and you're right. It is all people. It will remain people. And I've tried to stay away from the crystal ball, you know, navel gazing of the future of AI and all this kind of stuff because it, it does feel a bit like this is a big topic, but like, I just don't know. I just don't know where it's going, but I think people still buy from people, for example. So sales are always going to be fine. I think what you're probably going to find is that, um, let's say software development. That's the, that's the area I know they become a lot more productive, but you could argue that they're, they were got five times more productive since the year 2000 when everyone was hosting their own servers and totally having to build like backend code themselves and all that kind of stuff. So I think, I think it's probably just the same thing again, that you've had another leap forward in productivity and therefore the market will adjust to that and we'll be doing a lot more work for less. Cause the thing about today is still very difficult to build an e-commerce site, even though we've got Shopify and all these payment mm -hmm. gateways and everything, mm -hmm. we're still doing projects. It takes six months. Yep. Um, so it's not like things that, uh, uh have become instant and part of that is just we're human and we spend time getting the right thing and we coordinate things and organizations are complicated and there's competing interests and understanding how to make the technology do the right thing will never be easy i don't think yeah i mean i'm, I'm amazed at um like even with the hype this is this is one of my observations with the hype of ai is that and, and i know you know tom goodwin i think he makes some really interesting observations about it like there's still so much shit in my life. I'm like, why does this exist? And yeah, yeah there's yeah. all this hype around. AI. Like I bought a pair of ASICS shoes. I need to get a fucking printer and print off a return label. Like, right. So yeah, we're still... I mean, do you know what I mean? Great example within our very micro world. I mean, you add on health and like dealing with the government or HMRC or whatever it is. You know, yeah. there's just feels like there's so much low hanging fruit of, you know, 
AI is way beyond what is needed to make it better and more. I, I think it, it, in technology, we, we, yeah, and you're right. He's been talking a lot about that at the minute, that it's not the, we're going to get a lot more mediocre blog posts probably. Okay. But you know, <laughs> the, 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 the might, and, and the reality is in technology, we overemphasize the importance of technology. And the, you know, the way you see it a lot is these billionaires, you know, like on all in podcasts, it's, it, it's almost like they have an opinion on treasury management, macroeconomics, yeah. Yeah. health. And you're like, come on, you guys don't know any more than anyone else about that stuff. Okay. Yeah. You made a lot of money in tech. And so I think we go around saying, Oh, you know, we're going to change the world. Um, but you're right. Like going to a doctor is still basically the same as it was 10 years ago. And you know, there's incremental improvements definitely. Um, but you're right. And I think because we, we don't see that actually there's other structures like, like, um, that, that, that keep things the same. Like the top 10 banks is still the same as it was, yeah. you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. And there was a guy, you know, there's a, there's a saying that about um, some guy uh, like 2000 said, the internet will have as much impact as the fax machine, you know, and it's one of these jokes for a long time uh, that of course it did change, you know, music, dating, e uh, trade, like e-commerce and everything. So, you know, it's not quite that simple, but looking at it in terms of who are the biggest companies in the world, it's still pretty similar. Obviously, you've got Facebook and Google and stuff, which are new, but the rest of them is still the same. So yeah. we definitely overemphasize our um, uh, the, the nature of the uh, um, the impact of technology in a complicated world as well. I'd say. So final question, I want to look forward. <laughs> and I don't know if the answer is something to do with some sort of... Um, uh, Antifa-based crypto group, but where is Alex? <laughs> Where's Alex in three years? <laughs> Launching a new AI shitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So, so uh, we're still here at the agency, and agency is going well. Uh, I, lo I love the people of what we do. Um, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about at the minute. Like, I think my area of interest is how do you use technology to make businesses better? And um, at school, you know, we do this thing in like GCSEs, which is when you're, I think you're about 15 years old. And uh, my favorite thing that we did in GCSEs was the, the IT thing. You had to make a spreadsheet for um, booking theater tickets. So, you know, you had like a the layout of the theater and like, you know, you could book it. And I just love stuff like that. Now, now I get to do it for, you know, billion dollar companies but i just love applying technology to get um value i suppose and efficiency and um keen to do more of that and um so i don't know exactly but i'm i'm happy with where we ended up and yeah i love what we do i love technology and applying it so i'll be doing the same thing nice all right well i promise to get you on the pod in three years and we can we can discuss <laughs> where, where you're at um, I think that's a good way to end the podcast. Alex, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Tim. There you go, folks. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we go, a quick word from my sponsor, Recharge, the leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants launch and scale subscription offerings. Discover how your business can harness the power of recurring revenue and seamless subscription commerce at rechargepayments.com slash basket before we go if you like the pod please like subscribe download and tell all your mates to do exactly the same i'll see you next time